God who creates, redeems, and sanctifies. Amen. Please sit. I kind of want to sit there, too, for the record. If you haven't noticed our soft space in the back, please take a look. And if you're ever missing me at the front, it's because that's where I am. <laughs> a few months ago, I bought myself a new pair of sunglasses that I really, really like. I bought them because the, the frames are wooden, and I thought that was kind of cool. But I didn't really pay attention to them, and so when I took them outside, I realized that the lenses were polarized. How many of you have lenses that are on your sunglasses. Okay, so it changes how you see everything, right? Generally, the world is a little darker, but the color is a little brighter. The details are a little crisper. Things far away look a little cleaner. You can see things really differently with these lenses. And I sort of knew that, but most of my glasses weren't polarized, so it's made a big difference for me. And I actually really, really like it. Although, admittedly, when I look at myself, it tends to make the gray hairs that are coming in sort of technicolor. <laughs> but despite that, I still really like them. And I love the way that I can see the world sort of differently. The trouble is, though, I have to remind myself every once in a while that what I see may not exactly be what everybody else sees, because the colors are a little different. So that flower that is lovely looks a little different to me than it does to everybody else. But then isn't that one of the gifts of being alive? That we get to try and share the things that are beautiful? The things that we see differently with people who may not see them yet? In the Gospel, Jesus has a couple of special lenses on today. And one of them is always true, and that is the lens of love. Jesus always looks at the world around him with this lens of love. And that's probably the most important thing. But there's something else that's in the gospel that he's putting on as well, and that is the lens of humility. And it's a very particular kind of humility. Now, in the dictionary, the definition of humility um, that we have a low or modest view of ourselves or of our importance, which is sort of a negative way to define it. And yet, I think, in many ways, it's, it's what we all sort of are taught. We're taught to be humble in a way that sort of downplays who we are and what we're good at. We're taught not to be too proud of the things that we're good at. And sometimes, if we've worked hard on something, to not take the credit for it, at least not entirely. We're taught to be polite and well-mannered, to sort of rein all of that in. And truthfully, women in particular are taught to do that. And there's a number of, of people, I think, who end up on the far side of that spectrum who, in order to not fully seen and to not fully take credit for who they are and the gifts they have, sort of carve that goodness out of them almost so that people won't see it. This is not the humility that Jesus calls us to, because at best it's superficial, and at worst it denies the goodness that God gives the goodness that God plants within us, the gifts God gives us to use. So then if that isn't it, what is it? The gospel is in two pieces this morning, two sort of chunks of this passage. And the first is an image of where Jesus finds himself. He's having dinner at the home of one of the leaders of the Pharisees. 
And the Pharisees are the religious elite. They follow the law of Moses super carefully. They do everything right. They follow all the rules, they check all the boxes, they are exceedingly well educated, and they are sort of the, the upper crust. And even at their dinners in this circle, there would have been a hierarchy. This is a circle that was codified by competition, stratified by achievement. Even within their little circle, there would have been people who were greater than others, who would have been able to sit at the head of the table and take the seat of honor, either because they were older or smarter or better orators or had more of the respect of the people. This was a table that was reined in and codified and closed to everybody else. And Jesus, ever capable of winning friends and influencing people, criticizes them this morning. You shouldn't go take the seat of honor because someone else greater than you might come and then you're going to kind of look like an idiot. And there will be no good seats left, so you'll sit all the way at the other end of the table where the lower seats are, and you'll lose even the honor that you have. That's a way to make lots of friends, I think. The trouble is, in the second half of the gospel, we get this other image that sort of challenges this closed, codified table. It's clear that the way Jesus is talking about people is different. Instead of just the very highly educated and the, the smart and the respected people, Jesus suggests that when you throw a dinner party, you throw the doors open and invite everybody, especially the least and the last, and according to Paul in the epistle, the stranger. It's an invitation for the people to come to dinner who the Pharisees would never have wanted to eat with and would never have wanted to even talk to or touch or be anywhere near. Because Jesus' vision seems to be a little bit different than ours. What he sees in people seems to be a little different. And certainly the table that he sees is quite a lot longer. It looks like there's room for everybody. And like the way the world talks about glory and honor doesn't really compute. It's almost like it's an optical illusion. And he puts on these lenses and sees something else. In our baptism, in the gift of the Holy Spirit, Jesus tries to give us those lenses as well. And it's important to, to know really how much freedom he has to look at the world differently. As Christians and Episcopalians, we believe that Jesus was both human and divine. He was a human being with a body like ours. He was a first century Palestinian Jew. He lived and died and breathed and ate just like we do. And we believe that God was incarnate in him, that God literally lived in flesh, took on flesh, and sort of walked around among us, which means that Jesus was literally the most powerful human being that ever existed. And, by the way, the smartest. He would have known the answer to everything because he was there at the beginning of time speaking the words that brought everything into being. So if there was any seat at any table that was most honored, surely it should have been his. And still, even though the divinity lives in him, wherever he goes, he seems to 
recognize the image of God in other people. And he seems to prioritize that over even the image of God in himself. He had all the power and could have done anything, really, to change the course of history, and yet the power he chooses most is the power of love. In fact, even as people start to beat him and lead him toward the cross, he never once raises a hand. He never once fights back. And it's because his vision of the landscape is so remarkably different. His understanding of the world and how it should work is like seeing it with completely different eyes. And these are the lenses that he wants to give us to see power and privilege differently, to be able to put lenses on and see that the table stretches much longer than we had imagined, and to imagine that everybody gets a place at the table. There's a writer that uh, I particularly like who does a good job of sort of summarizing some of these things. His name is Fred Beekner, and he wrote something about humility that I want to share with you. He says, humility is often confused with saying that you're not much of a bridge player when you know perfectly well that you are. Conscious or otherwise, this kind of humility is a form of gamesmanship. If you really aren't much of a bridge player, you're apt to be rather proud of yourself for admitting it so humbly. This kind of humility is a form of low comedy. True humility doesn't consist of thinking ill of yourself, but of not thinking of yourself much differently from the way that you would think of anybody else. It is the capacity for being no more and no less pleased when you play your own hand well than when your opponents do. The difference with the polarized lenses is not that we learn to downplay our own gifts. In fact, I think it throws them into relief for us. The difference is that we learn to see the world and the people around us differently. That like Jesus, we're able to see in great color and detail the dignity of every human being. The fact that all of our neighbors are beloved and made in the image of God, and that all of them get to sit at the table. The difference is that we get to see the detail of that long table that's not built on competition or achievement, but is rather built by love and sustained by love. Love that is abundant and patient and kind, and love that is actually authentically humble, which is not about carving out the gifts that God has given us, because each one of us was intentionally that we might bring them to that table and build that table together. And it's certainly not about pretending that we're not good at something that we are. Real humility is about realizing that it's about building up the people around us, building bridges, building relationships, and prizing and honoring the dignity of this is what we see in Jesus' life over and over and over again. As he chooses people, as he creates relationships, as he decides to bring the outcasts in and helps prejudice fall away between individuals and whole big bodies. So the invitation of this gospel today is to think about those lenses to put them on for the first time, or the hundredth time, or the thousandth time, 
and to try again to see the world in that sort of bright technicolor of love and of humility. The way that Jesus tries to see the world, the way that he shows us walk through the world. To think a little bit about who sits at our tables, our tables at home and our table here, and to think about who's missing. To think a little bit about the ways that we show kindness and build circles so that we might be repaid. And to imagine how much bigger God's table is. How different the vision must be. I invite you this morning to consider that table and your place at it. Not to downplay the gifts you've been given, but instead to use them to make the table longer and wider and more authentic. Where is your place at that table? Who are you inviting? Amen.